Well, would you please join with me in prayer? Father, uh, we uh, pause as we have just heard your word. It is our desire uh, to hear it all the more deeply. Lord, it's our desire to remember, uh, to remember you, uh, to remember what you have done, to remember who we are in you. And so we ask even in this brief time uh, before we celebrate the meal that you have given us as we meditate on these words, that you would lift our gaze and help us to see you more clearly, that our hearts would be filled with praise and gratitude. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of my uh, favorite Pixar films, maybe it's yours as well, is Finding Nemo. I think probably most of us have seen it, but this point's been around for a while. And without a doubt, one of the characters that makes that movie great is Dory. Um, if you've seen the movie, you remember kind of how she's introduced. Marlin is, as he's always doing in this movie, he's panicking. And he's trying to chase after the boat that has Nemo. And he, boom, bumps into this blue fish. And, and he explains that he's looking for the boat. And this fish says, boat? I saw a boat. And he says, you have? And she says, oh, and it passed by not too long ago. Pausing, hi, I'm Dory. And he responds, where? Which way? It went this way, follow me. And then she goes, and we remember the story, if you've seen it, that you know he's following, and at first they're just kind of going, and suddenly she looks back suspiciously, and she starts going faster, and he's confused, and he starts following, and eventually she stops, and he bumps into her, and she says, stop it, I'm trying to swim. Would you stop following me? And, and Marlin, kind of confused, says, what? Uh, you're showing me the way to the boat. And she says, a boat? Oh, I've seen a boat. It passed by not too long ago. And, and so there's this confusion that happens until eventually she understands what's taking place and she says, oh, I'm sorry, I suffer from short-term memory loss. I forget things almost immediately. It runs in the family, or, or at least I think it does. Well, I only bring that up briefly because if you study the story of Israel, if you're reading the Old Testament, it really seems like the people of Israel belong in Dory's family. Because like, again and again, it's like they've remembered something, God has shown them, he has said something, and then like five minutes later, they've just completely forgotten as if nothing just happened. And it happens repeatedly. In fact, it's so much a part of who Israel is that God clearly understands and he even warns them. There's this place in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 8, and this is a paraphrase, but it's pretty close to what he says. He says, when you have entered the land, because see, the people of Israel right now are just about to enter the land that he has promised. He has brought them through the wilderness, and they're about to enter into their homes. He says, when there's this day that you're going to be in your home, and you're going to be having this great meal, and you'll be hearing the sound of the goats and the sheep, your livestock that are in, in your yard, and you're eating and are satisfied, and you're not worried because you have plenty of money in your bank account so that you know that you will have plenty for the next day. When that happens, don't forget. Don't forget that I loved you, that I have brought you out of Egypt. Don't forget that I carried you through wilderness, that every day I fed you manna. Don't forget that this home that you're living in, that everything you're enjoying, it has all come from me. You will be tempted, he says, to look around and pat yourself in the back and say, what a great job I have done. But don't do it. Don't forget that I am your God and that I have done this for you. And of course, they forget. 
and they forget, and they forget. And so now it's centuries later when we have this psalm that was just read for us, Psalm 103, and it's written by someone who maybe even was reflecting, you know, maybe in his you know, personal devotions he was hearing and reflecting on these words in Deuteronomy 8, don't forget, and he's realizing, I am so forgetful. And so what did he say to himself? This is one of those psalms where, you know, he's talking to himself, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and right after he says, and forget not all his benefits. He's telling himself, don't forget. Because he understands that when God is warning the people centuries ago, it's not just them who will have a problem with forgetting. It's him. And we know that too, don't we? I mean, how often are we people who have short-term memory loss when it comes to God's ways of dealings with us. I mean, we can fall into the exact same trap that, that was warned against by God back in Deuteronomy 8, right? I mean, we can be in one of those moments where we're enjoying our nicely decorated home and our kids somehow miraculously are all doing their homework and we're not feeling stressed because we've been able to actually put some money aside and we actually feel like we're starting to gain our savings and we can start thinking, hey, I am doing pretty well. And if we're really honest, we can have that feeling sometimes when we're, say, in the grocery store and we see someone else who's clearly not in the same economic bracket we are, and we feel just a little bit superior. And in that moment, we are utterly bonkers. I mean, we're, we're, we're having a dory moment. We are forgetting that everything that we have, our abilities, the job that we so prayed for and then God gave us the job, the family that each time when we were pregnant we were feeling nervous and God gave us these kids, everything we have came from God and yet we're congratulating ourselves. See, we have a problem with forgetting. Or have you ever been in one of those situations where you are in an argument with someone that you love, a close family member, and you realize fairly early on, deep down, if you're really honest, that you're wrong. But you are going to fight like tooth and nail against everything the other person says because you don't want to admit it. And, and why? Because you don't want to have to acknowledge that you made a mistake because of what it says about you. And you don't want to say that you're a mistake maker. Except here's the problem. You have already blown that. You know, every Sunday, what are we doing? We confess, I am a sinner before each other and before God. And not only do we confess those things, but we hear the reality, God has forgiven this. But in that moment, where we're trying to defend ourselves, we are completely forgetful. We're having another dory moment. We're forgetting what God has done. See, we forget. I can think of a time a couple of weeks ago where I, I felt this in a kind of a tangible way. We have some neighbors who are going through some really tough stuff. One of their kids is really sick. And as we kind of talk with them and kind of, you know, kind of watch and look on, we're, you know, we grieve, we're praying. But sometimes it can affect me kind of at a personal level. Maybe you've experienced something like this for yourself, where kind of like this shadow goes over my heart, where I feel almost this selfish fear, like what, what would happen to us if something like that happened in our family? And I start kind of, in my anxiety, almost trying to figure out how do I protect so that we don't have to suffer in that way? But there's this time where, you know, just in a time of prayer, suddenly I realized how misguided this instinct is. I think God was just reminding our job in this world is not to avoid suffering. God has already dealt with the final sting of suffering. He promises to bring us through suffering and that's not our goal. Our goal is to seek first the kingdom of God and trust that he and his mercy will continue to provide for us and care for us and know that we have hope in him. And suddenly I realized I had just completely lost the plot because I'm forgetful. 
See, we have a problem with forgetting. And we need to remember. And so this Psalm 103, that's, that's what this Psalm is about. It's, it's about a battle to remember. It says, forget not. And that's really what the whole Psalm is about. And we, we don't have time this morning to look at the whole Psalm. But we even, we even see in these opening first five verses, it's like the Psalm writer is saying, remember these things with me. Remember, he says, that you have been forgiven. Forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all our iniquities? You know, we talk about this probably at a weekly level, but don't we forget it? That God has sent Jesus. That Jesus has died for you and for me. And that all that we are ashamed of, all of our failures, everything that we have done wrong has been dealt with and you and I are forgiven. You know, if you are someone like me who, you know, pays attention to the news and undoubtedly you have been barraged with stories in these past couple of weeks of, of sexual harassment, sexual abuse, it is, I think it's an, a really important moment in our country, but it is hard, it's messy. And there is one kind of poignant moment this past week where this comedian, Sarah Silverman, who is a friend of Louis C.K., and if you know what's going on, you know Louis C.K. is one of the people who has been exposed as, being, as conducting sexual abuse. And so in this monologue, she's, she was clearly in pain because of this, and she said she's having a hard time holding on to two things. One is that what, what her friend has done is reprehensible, that the actions are indefensible. They are just wrong. And yet, at the same time, she's his friend. And so she, she pauses and she asks this question. She says, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is, can you love someone who has done bad things? I think that's an incredibly important question that our culture is facing right now. Can you love someone who has done bad things? And we know the answer. Because we know how God has loved us. Because we truly, we truly have wronged people in a way that have hurt them. And we have wronged God beyond even our capacity to understand. And yet, he loves us. And he's given his son for us. And he has forgiven every one of our sins. Don't forget. Remember that he forgives you. And then the psalmist says also, remember how he rescues you. After he says, who forgives, he says, who heals all our diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. And that language of the pit is a metaphor for death. And really, disease and death are these, these two constant reminders to us in this world that this world is broken, aren't they? This past week, I came down with a cold that my guess is about three-fourths of us who've endured sometime in the last few weeks. It seems like November. It's always what happens. But if you were anything like me, you know the feeling of the, like, someone rubbed sandpaper on the inside of your throat, it seems like, and your nose somehow miraculously can never stop running. And there's, you know, the, 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 the persistent explosive sneezing. There's the chills. There's the complete lack of energy. And, and the thing is, when we feel sick like this, it's this weird thing where we kind of almost feel like we're not at home in our own bodies. I, I, there's just this very tangible reality that 
we are experiencing a world that is malfunctioning, right? That there is not a harmony with this world that there should be. And, and that reality is, of course, driven all the more deeply home when we find ourselves face to face with death, when someone that we know dies and a life is ripped from this world and there's something deep within us that says this is not right and we're right. It's a reminder that this world is broken, that, that because of our sin, because of the ways we've abandoned God, this world has been brought into disrepair. And we ask, so what does God do about that? And, and all we need to do is look at Jesus, right? When we, when we see him in this world, how is he? It seems like when he is walking, when people encounter him, anyone who has a cold, all Jesus has to do is look at him and suddenly he's better. I mean, he speaks and someone who has leprosy is healed. He touches someone and someone who could not move his hand suddenly is completely mobile. He is constantly destroying disease in his wake. And then what does he do at the very end? He goes to death itself to conquer death. And what do we see? We see a God who, despite the fact that we have sinned, that we're the ones who brought this world into ruin, is thoroughly committed to making it right. To ending all disease. To ending all disrepair. To bringing about harmony in this world again. You know, every time that you and I move from sickness into health, we're getting a reminder of what God does. Because God's the one, of course, who created our antibodies. God is the one who has empowered doctors to be able to use medicine. God is the one who sometimes miraculously heals. We even shared stories about that this morning. And each time that happens, we're being given just a taste of the work that God is doing. But it's a taste of something bigger, a taste of how God is deciding and has decided to completely bring an end to all disease, to bring an end to all death. How there will be one day where every single ailment, every single problem that we have will be completely healed and death will be no more. And the psalmist says, don't forget, he heals diseases. He redeems our lives from death itself. And the psalmist says, and don't forget the kindness of your God. Because you notice, he, he doesn't just speak about forgiveness. He moves from forgiveness to rescue. And then he says, who crowns you with love, steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies your desires with good, so that your youth is renewed like an e the eagles. In other words, not only does he pull you out of the consequences of your own actions, not only does he forgive you, but he pours good upon you as well. One of my favorite moments in the story of Les Mis is, is right near the very beginning. If you know the story, you know Jean Valjean ends up being this outcast, homeless. And, and a priest kindly, mercifully takes him in. And in the middle of the night, Valjean decides that he is going to steal the priest. He takes all of the precious silver, he runs away, but the police find him. And they decide that it must have been theft, and they are of course right. And so they bring him back to the priest, and Valjean is in trouble. If, if he is caught for this, he will be imprisoned for forever. But when he's brought to the priest, and the, and the cops, the police say to the priest, well, this person claims that you gave this silver to him, but clearly it's wrong. And the priest, please, priest just kind of looks, and, and he nods. He says, no, that's right. 
I, I gave this silver to him. But, but you, you left so quickly, you, you forgot these candlesticks. Let me give these to you as well. There's this picture of, of grace that in addition to, to forgiving, in addition to rescuing, he even pours more upon Valjean. And, and I hope you and I understand that that is how God has loved you and me. He's, he's forgiven our, our sins. He has rescued us from the consequences of our action. And he says, wait, let me pour my kindness upon you. He, it says, crowns you. He puts a crown on your head. He satisfies our desires. What is it that you desire? Let me provide for you. In other words, he gives us the royal treatment. And he does this, it says, because of his steadfast love and mercy. Two beautiful ideas combined. One being more the idea of this committed, immovable commitment. I will love you no matter what. The other, this idea of mercy, is this idea of being moved, of seeing our suffering and being filled with compassion, that we have a God who is both committed and who cares. And every moment of our existence, we experience that reality. I mean, just think of this. When, whenever today you want, anytime you're in a moment of anxiety, you are invited to knock on the door of the office of the creator of the universe, and what will happen? He will open the door, he will see you, he will welcome you right in, he will sit you down and say, now tell me, please, what's on your mind? The creator of the universe. And even when we're not praying to him, this same God is one who is watching and paying attention to every single detail of the moments of your lives and is organizing and is directing so that in all things he is pursuing your good so that he is growing you and showing his grace to you. God is doing this for you. This is royal treatment. He crowns us. He treats us as his children because that is what we are. We our children of God, do not forget. Remember the kindness of God. Remember that God has forgiven you. Remember that God has rescued you. Remember that God pours out his kindness upon you. Now this Sunday we have, is a Sunday we do every year, we call it Thanksgiving Sunday. And really we could just as easily call it Remembering Sunday because that's, that's really what the Christian act of Thanksgiving is about. God doesn't need to hear our thanks. It's not like his ego needs to be boosted up or if he feels the lack of gratitude. We need to hear our thanks. Because every time we are giving thanks, we are fighting against our short-term memory and we are remembering again and again, this is what the Lord has done. We have before us a meal that has been given to us specifically designed to help you and me remember. We are told, do this in remembrance of me. And we give thanks. But before we turn to remember together this, this love that God has shown us in Christ Jesus, I want to invite us to pause to remember on our own quietly, to, to acknowledge before God how we have not been grateful, to acknowledge how we have forgotten, and to confess that, and to turn our hearts again to our forgiving God in confession. And then I'll lead us in prayer in a short while. So would you please pause with me and both give thanks and acknowledge to God how we have forgotten him, and then we'll pray together.
Father, you know our forgetfulness. You know that it is real and it is persistent. You have shown us again and again that you are trustworthy. And we confess before you that again and again we have forgotten it. And that we have failed to trust you. And that we have failed to celebrate your goodness to us in thanks. Father, we ask for your forgiveness knowing that you promised to forgive us. And we ask also that you would help us more and more to remember, to celebrate, to rejoice in your goodness to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear again these words from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity. In Jesus Christ, all of your sin is forgiven. Thanks be to God.